Hey everyone, welcome back to Pancreas on Strike. The episode title is I'm Sorry for What I Said When I Was Low Slash High. In this episode, we're going to be discussing how diabetes impacts people emotionally and behaviorally. Please note that we will be covering some serious topics in, in this episode that may be disturbing to some viewers. If you are unable to listen to topics regarding depression and such, please, at the announcement later in the episode, turn away. The beginning part of this episode is just going to cover the basics and go into what high blood sugar levels are and what some symptoms of that may be, as well as low blood sugar levels, symptoms of that, and a few stories thrown in in between. I will make an announcement later in the episode right before I'm talking about some of those disturbing topics. And remember, if you are feeling depressive thoughts, please call the suicide hotline at 988 or 911 if you have an emergency. While diabetes does have major life-altering physical effects, there are some mental and emotional tolls as well. Among diabetics, high blood sugar levels, also known as hyperglycemia, have been historically associated with feelings of irritability, anger, or extreme emotions of sadness. I know I have been told when my sugar is high, I get mean, and this is because in my mind, my sugar is 400, if not more, and I don't feel good. When my sugar is high, I feel nauseous, I have a headache, I'm sluggish, and I just want to lay down and be left alone. So when a diabetic in your life is going through this, please know that any snaps of anger or any go away and leave me alone is not personal at all. They just don't feel good, and the act of talking, socializing, or doing anything other than just simply existing honestly is horrible at that moment in time. One of the risks of high blood sugar is DKA or diabetic ketoacidosis. This illness occurs when your body does not have enough insulin to allow blood sugar into your cells for use as energy. Instead, your liver breaks down fat for fuel, a process that produces acids called ketones. When too many ketones are produced too fast, they can build up to dangerous levels in your body. The last time I went into DKA was 2016. My insulin pump was giving me insulin, but the tubing underneath the skin was not placed the way that it should be. So for those of you that don't have a pump and don't know, I spoke about in the treatment types what goes into inserting a pump and the sensor into the skin. But what I didn't mention was when a sensor is inserted, you want the tubing to be straight. You don't want it to be slightly crooked or bent because this can prevent insulin from being delivered. So what happened with me is that I had changed my sensor and I didn't realize that it was crooked underneath the skin until it was too late. So the pump was still giving me insulin. It just wasn't giving me enough. For example, say I did eight units of insulin for a correction the pump would say I received the eight units when in reality I would only receive maybe four or five. There is no definite way to tell how much I actually received. This can occur, but it doesn't happen often. The older pump that I had before I switched to this new one, I did have about a good month there where I was getting a lot of bad sensors and this was happening. And nine times out of 10, with that pump, I would be able to see that right away because it would say the insulin was not being delivered. But in this case, I wasn't seeing that. Symptoms of DKA are similar to that of regular high blood sugar levels. These symptoms can include thirst, frequent urination, fast, deep breathing, almost like you can't catch your breath, 
For me with this, I also had chest aches because I was breathing so hard. Flushed face, dry skin and cotton mouth, fruity smelling breath, headache, muscle stiffness or aches, tiredness, nausea and vomiting, and stomach pain. So in 2016, I quite literally woke up, rolled over, and immediately threw up on the side of the bed. I didn't even have enough energy to get up and try to make it to the bathroom. I didn't even try. Luckily, a family friend was there and asked, what do I do? Because she has said she is not a hair holder. She is not the person that you go to when you're about to throw up. So with the gruffest voice I have ever heard myself speak in, I was like, just call mom. Just call mom. (laughs) So I timed it and... um. After my mom came home, I threw up every 15 minutes. I am not kidding you. I would look at the time, run to the bathroom, throw up, come back in the living room, sit down for 15 minutes, run to the bathroom again. I remember laying on the bathroom floor at one point because I was burning up and the floor was so cold that it felt nice. I had zero energy. When my mom realized something was wrong, She was confused because my sensor didn't say that I was high. It actually said that I was in range. So we go to the ER, which trying to muster up the energy to walk down the stairs was unbelievable. I really felt like I could just fall, roll down the stairs and just be like, all right, I got down those stairs pretty quickly because I, like I said, I had zero energy. I couldn't do anything. So we get to the ER, and I am going to do an episode about doctor shopping and doctor hopping and just kind of what's wrong when doctors or the wrong doctors look at a diabetic, but this this fact is pertinent to the story. So we got to the ER. The Those in the ER examined me and said, oh, well, she's just dehydrated and sent me home. My mom, my family friend and I get out to the parking lot and my mom goes, no, there's something else wrong. Because parents, especially when it comes to your kids, you kind of have that sixth sense where you're like, no, this is more than what other people are saying it is. You trust your instinct. Luckily, the hospital was right across the street. So we load up in the car and we go to the hospital. And again, this is not doctor slander. I'm not trying to speak bad about anybody in the medical field because doctors, nurses, EMTs, anybody in that field truly goes through a lot when dealing with patients, goes through a lot school-wise. So this is not hate towards doctors. We've just all had those specific doctors that do not listen to their patients and try to think that they know more than their patients. But we get to the hospital, they take one look at me, and five minutes after I'm there, they're like, she's in the beginning stages of DKA. We need to get her admitted right now. And I was admitted. Now, I did end up having to get transferred to a different hospital because I don't remember much of this timeline um, because I was feeling so terrible, but it was something about they didn't have the right unit that they needed to care for a DKA patient. It was something like that. Um, 
but I was admitted in the hospital, had an IV started. It was a whole thing. I ended up getting out of the hospital, I think, three days after, but it was for sure a very emotional and just tiring journey. But now that we've talked about high blood sugar, let's talk about low blood sugar. Low blood sugar or hypoglycemia is when there's too much insulin in the bloodstream, but not enough carbohydrates. Some symptoms of low blood sugar include hunger, trembling, shakiness, sweating, slurred speech, confusion, or the inability to process thoughts. When I am low, I typically feel a strong urge to cry and I feel immense frustration because I easily get confused by things and I just can't get my mind to really wrap around anything. That's why if my sugar is low, I can't read any books. It's hard for me to take tests for school. It's hard for me to really do anything that requires concentration and using the knowledge in my brain. Because part of that is your body is fighting so hard to survive that it's kind of like, okay, well, we need to survive. We don't need to process this event that's going on in front of us. At least that's how it is for me. My mind is kind of like, let's just focus on what we need to do and not worry about what we want to do. Um, but when I was younger, I had a severe low blood sugar level and I dropped down to 20 milligrams per deciliter in my sleep. And all I could do was scream and cry. Um, and I do want to take a moment. Um, I forgot to mention that there are two ways to measure glucose levels. One of them is milligrams per deciliter. And the other one is molarity per liter. I don't know too much about this one because I use milligram per deciliter. I think molarity per liter is used mainly other countries but um mmol slash l gives the molarity which is the number of molecules of a substance within a specific volume in this case within one liter milligrams per deciliter gives the concentration by the ratio of weight to volume in this case milligrams per deciliter but all i could do was scream and cry um, my sister tells this story because quite literally, I only remember one very small detail that I'm about to get into when talking about this story. My sister said that she was just sleeping and all of a sudden I just started screaming at the top of my lungs. She said she tried to wake me up and she couldn't. So she ran to my aunt and uncle's bedroom because I was staying with them and woke up, woke them up saying, she's screaming, she's crying, I can't get her to do anything. I vaguely remember someone coming in the room and like picking me up. I was still laying down, but I was laying down across a lap. And then I remember my uncle telling my sister to go downstairs and get everything with sugar in it that she could find. Because in this instance, they couldn't get my mouth open to like swallow juice or to eat anything. I had no motor functions. I couldn't even open my eyes. All I could do was scream and cry. I remember my uncle rubbing jelly on my gums because that was the quickest way 
to get my sugar up to where I could at least eat something. The funny part about this story is my mother, who had been living with me as a diabetic for so long, forgot to tell my aunt and uncle that if you go from 20 to, I think she said like over 300, it may cause you to throw up. My uncle is not the throw up parent. He is not the one that's like, hey, you know, the kids are sick. Okay, I'll take care of them. Mm -mm. He said they put me back in bed in their room to keep an eye on me. I woke up and immediately, it's like parents, you can hear when your kid's starting to get sick. You can hear that kind of like about to throw up the way the body is. He said he heard that and he had never jumped out of bed so fast in his entire life. But yes, nobody told them to expect me to get sick. But I was okay in the end. Um, it kind of put them into the perspective because my mother, a parent, a spouse, a sibling who lives at home with you, you know, they may see it every day. They don't experience diabetes because they're not diabetic, but they see it every day. Whereas secondary family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, whatever, that aren't with you every day, don't really understand how sugar levels and what you eat can impact diabetics until they see it. You know, they saw my mom giving me insulin shots because this was well before I was on a pump. They saw her giving me insulin shots. They saw her pricking my finger and actually checking my sugar levels, but they never really experienced the in-between. And I already know there's going to be a comment on the podcast about the 15-carb, 15 15-minute 15 rule, which for those of you that don't know, the rule is essentially you're supposed to eat 15 grams of carbohydrates when your sugar is low, wait 15 minutes, and then recheck your glucose level. From what my mother tells me, from a parent's perspective, when your child is so low that they literally cannot do anything else but scream and cry to get someone's attention, you're not concerned with that 15-minute rule. You're just concerned with, we have to get their sugar level up enough to function. Which, I'm not going to lie, I don't live by that 15-minute rule only because it has never helped me. Typically, once my sugar hits about 100, I drop very quickly. So I don't really eat 15 grams of carbohydrates and then wait 15 minutes because once I start dropping, I don't stop dropping until I'm about 50. But it is a rule that a lot of people follow. It is a rule that doctors kind of try to enforce. If it works for you, it works for you. But diabetes, like any illness, disease, disability, whatever, however you prefer to define diabetes, is different. Whatever works for me is not going to work the exact same for one of the diabetics listening to this podcast. Do what works for you. Because, like I said, parents, spouses, doctors, siblings... Any outside person can tell you what they think the best strategy is, 
but we are the ones that are going to be able to understand our bodies and how our bodies work the best. Now, this is the part where this podcast is going to take kind of a serious turn. So this is where viewers who are easily triggered by those topics that we talked about in the beginning, please tune out. Please put your mental health first and click off of this podcast. Now, I've covered a lot of the physical characteristics and symptoms of low blood sugar levels and high blood sugar levels, but let's talk about the mental aspect of it. Burnout or feeling burned out can be different for everyone, but it can mean that one stops taking care of themselves. I have experienced burnout multiple times, and in most cases, it happens after a severe low or high episode. Like when you're sitting in your room at 3 a.m. because your sugar is still high, and it's been high since 8 o'clock p.m., you've done so much insulin, you're like, it is a wonder how I am even alive right now. And you're like, you know, I didn't even eat anything really sugary for dinner. I had a grilled chicken breast and a salad. I don't understand why my sugar is high. If you wear a pump, you're like, you know, I've changed my pump sensor twice. I've given myself an insulin dose and it is still high and I do not understand. I have experienced burnout so much because of an issue like this that I legitimately have a 12-step program for when my sugar is high. The first step is if it's extremely high, like over 400, I use an alcohol swab and prick my finger and use a glucose meter to ensure that my CGM is actually accurate. After that, I'll do some insulin on the pump, wait about 30 minutes to an hour, see if that helps. If that doesn't help, because again, going back to that lovely fear of needles, I change the infusion set, which I do, it was pointed out um, with a past episode that I do call the infusion sets for the pump sensors. I do want to clear that up. So They aren't actually really sensors in that besides giving insulin under the skin, they don't really do anything. Whereas a CGM sensor like actually monitors your blood sugar levels underneath the skin. Um, But, you know, I've, I've changed, I'll change my sensor for the pump. Try that one. Worst case scenario, I'll give myself a shot drinking water during this time, um, depending on where my glucose level is, I'm either trying to lightly walk and help the insulin and the water kind of move through the body to help my sugar level come down. Or if it's too high, I'm literally just relaxing, waiting for it to come down. Um, I will say when your sugar is high, for those of you that don't know, Diabetics can't just chug water depending on how high it is. Um, When I'm at 300 to about 400, then I'm chugging water like I have just been thirsty for 22 years of my life. But when I reach about the 400 mark, I'm like, look, if I try to take a sip of water, 
it's going to be over. But being a diabetic is just exceptionally hard because diabetics, you know, I've been in that position where I'm in my room having a mental breakdown because my sugar will not come down after five hours of it being extremely high. I've done just about everything I can do, everything I can think of to get my sugar down and it just will not come down. It is emotionally exhausting because for diabetics, one number dictates every aspect of our entire lives. You want to go out and hang with friends and have a couple drinks? You better make sure your sugar is not high because alcohol impacts your sugar. You want to go to the pool with your family, you know, have some fun with your kids, nieces, nephews, grandkids, whichever it may be. You better make sure your sugar is not low because you can't do physical activities when your sugar is low. I don't know how many times as a kid I was in that exact scenario because my uncle had a pool and there were multiple times in my childhood where I was told that I couldn't go swimming because my sugar was low and we had to wait for it to come up. Then I'm chugging water like I have just been thirsty for 22 years of my life. But when I reach about the 400 mark, I'm like, look, if I try to take a sip of water, it's going to be over. Um, But being a diabetic is just exceptionally hard because diabetics, you know, I've been in that position where I'm in my room having a mental breakdown because my sugar will not come down after five hours of it being extremely high. I've done just about everything I can do, everything I can think of to get my sugar down and it just will not come down. It is emotionally exhausting because for diabetics, one number dictates every aspect of our entire lives. You want to go out and hang with friends and have a couple drinks? You better make sure your sugar is not high because alcohol impacts your sugar. You want to go to the pool with your family, you know, have some fun with your kids, nieces, nephews, grandkids, whichever it may be. You better make sure your sugar is not low because you can't do physical activities when your sugar is low. I don't know how many times as a kid I was in that exact scenario because my uncle had a pool and there were multiple times in my childhood where I was told that I couldn't go swimming because my sugar was low and we had to wait for it to come up. It is extremely mentally consuming because every aspect of your life is well, what's my sugar doing right now? Well, how much insulin do I have for this trip? Do I need to bring anything with me? Your mind starts going through every best case scenario and every worst case scenario because that's what you're used to doing. And with every type of illness, disease, disability, mental illness, you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad ones. 
like I said, I haven't really had an episode like that in a while. Typically, I only have them after a really severe high or a severe low episode. But it is possible. And to the spouses, the parents, the family, the siblings that are out there and that are support systems, we rely so heavily on you guys being our support systems for listening to us. Because sometimes all you need is somebody to just go, I have been dealing with this all day today and it will not do what I want it to do. My sugar will not listen to me. It like won't come down. It won't go up. It won't do this. It won't do that. Sometimes it's beneficial to just have somebody to sit there and listen. Because while you may not be able to fully walk Walk in our shoes and see what we're talking about, sometimes just going, you got this, I'm here for you, is enough. So again, thank you to those support systems. Thank you. Because we truly could not do it without you. Thank you to the ones who look out for us. Thank you to the ones who are there, who help us. 